and uh, we've been talking about the crisis of identity, the identity crisis. I know it's kind of a familiar term uh, in our culture and in our language today. Uh, Having an identity crisis usually refers to someone uh, that is one thing but thinks they are another. Um, And I hope that you have seen so far in the last several weeks that we've jumped in this uh, that there are a lot of believers in identity crisis. There is uh, an attack against your identity. And we see it in Genesis chapter 1, jumping right in. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, just wanting to lay the foundation. It says, uh, so God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. In our image, that word image we saw literally means shade. It means uh, to replicate. It, it means uh, a, a, a picture of. It is literally the resemblance of the thing that it is shadowing or the, the image that it is representing. So, therefore, uh, the image is to do the very thing that it is an image of. There should be no disconnect. There should be, uh, uh, well, this one's greater and this one's less. There shouldn't be uh, 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 any um, lagging uh, in movement. Right. So you've got my shadow on the wall here. When my arm goes up, the shadow goes up, arm goes down, shadow goes down. And wouldn't we all just be freaked out if I drop my arm physically, but the arm on the wall stayed up. Uh, But there are a lot of believers where God's trying to do one thing and the believers are doing something different. That's called an identity crisis. And so we see that when God placed man on the earth, the first thing he gave him, not a job to do. Uh, uh, not not an assignment to take care of, uh, not something he was responsible for. The first thing God gave man when man shows up in the planet is identity. And a very specific identity. Not an identity that we have liberty to take on. Not an a, a liber- identity that is at our opinion or based upon our idea or what other people think about us or what our background says that we are. No, he says, and you will be created in my image. He says, our Father, the Son, uh, uh, Father, God, Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. The three are one. He says, us will be replicated and represented down there. And so therefore, uh, therefore, uh, the earth is a uh, extension, is a natural visible extension of a spiritual invisible heaven. And you and I are a natural visible extension of a spiritual invisible God. This is God's original intent. Genesis chapter 1 going all the way to the beginning, all the way to the back of the book. Amen? And so we see that we are made in his image according to our likeness. Now, likeness is a little different. Likeness speaks to function. Uh, Likeness speaks to how we are to operate. Therefore, uh, if God says it, we say it. If God thinks it, we think it. Uh, If God responds uh, in 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 a way, then you and I are to respond. You know that God's response to what happened in that church in Texas last Sunday ought to be our response. Uh, you know, God's response to racial issues ought to be our response to racial issues. Uh, God's response to getting a, uh, a cancer report over your body ought to be our response. Amen. There shouldn't be any disconnect. This should be the same. The doctor can declare whatever he wants, but God has already spoken a word over your life that trumps what the doctor can say. And the doctor can't find anything about me that God didn't already know and that God hasn't already taken care of. But it all goes back to identity. I'm made in his image. That means I'm supposed to follow what he does. I'm supposed to be his representation. And I'm made in his likeness. That means I'm supposed to operate like him. I'm supposed to function down here. He says the job that they're going to do down there is the job that I'm doing up here. Amen. That's not arrogance. That's not boastful. That's not thinking of myself more highly than I ought to. That's what the word says. That's what the Bible says. And this is where the disconnect really shows up. It's because people, people will buy what the world says over what the word says. We so easily accept a label and a term. We talked about labels the last time we were together. We so easily buy into what the world says we are. You're poor. You're uneducated. You're sick. You're angry. You're mean. 
you're proud. And we buy into all these labels that the world gives us. But then when the word says, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Oh, I, I don't know about that. We so easily identify with the thing that is the most visible in front of us. And so the last time we were together, we looked at Colossians chapter 3 and we saw that we have to set our minds on what things above, not on things below. And notice that the things above and the things below never agree. If you're waiting for the world to agree with what God says, you'll be here all your life. You don't need to wait for them to agree. You just need to prove to them who God says you really are. And you stand on that and you don't bow to what the world thinks about you. Amen. So we see that there's identity. What came next? Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, birds of the air. Dominion means to rule. Dominion means to control. Dominion means to manage. And apparently, feeling this to man, that I needed to here. In the lineup of how God is revealing this to man, that I needed to know who I am before I needed to know what I was supposed to do. Apparently, who I am is relevant to what I'm supposed to do. Apparently, what God designed me to look like is connected to what God designed me to do. So, if I don't have the right identity... I'll get busy in the wrong assignment. I'll get busy doing something God never ordained for me to do because I'm busy trying to be something God never ordained for me to be. Now, you might say, well, this identity thing, I mean, it's pretty easy. And, uh, you know, looking at Genesis chapter uh, 1 verse 27 says, so God created man in his own image. Therefore, he did exactly what he said he was going to do, which he always does. In the image of God, he created him. So, so male and female, he created both of them. So when we get two chapters over in Genesis chapter 3, we have two individuals that are in this garden. Adam and Eve are their names. And uh, they become confronted with opposition for the first time. How many of you know that even in paradise, even in the perfect place, there's still opposition? Uh, we, we think about uh, perfection and we think about paradise as being a place where it's carefree and I don't have to fight anything and there's no work to do. And there's, there was work to do. There's opposition running around in there. God's very own enemy is roaming around in the garden where he's just placed his man. And we jump on down. We know that this uh, snake ends up enticing um, enticing uh, uh, Adam and Eve, speaking to Eve specifically. And, uh, you know, he has the whole conversation. Didn't, didn't God say that you couldn't eat of this? Oh, yeah, he said that we couldn't eat it, we couldn't touch it, unless that we die. But, but uh, the, the snake responds and says, uh, you know, you, you, you won't die. You won't die. Because he knows. He knows that in the day that you eat of it, put it up there, verse uh, 6, I believe, or uh, it might be verse where are we at? Genesis chapter 3, verse 4. He says, you will, you will not surely die. Verse 5, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open. Watch this. And you will be like God. Wait a minute. If I go back two chapters, I find out that they were already like God. So the snake is tempting them with something that they already are. And this is how identity hits us. You, you don't have to learn your identity to become it. You have to learn your identity to live it. You have to live out what you already are. This is the problem is they already were the identity of Christ. They already were uh, uh, in the image of God. But if the, if, see, this is what the devil is afraid of. The devil is afraid that you will find out who you really are. You realize that? You are powerless to what you don't know. You are powerless to what you don't know. The devil will eat your lunch over stuff that you have not renewed your mind to and you do not know. You have not gained knowledge in. I, heard a, I had a pastor tell me when we first started this church, one of the most uh, uh, amazing things that was told, me, told to me starting out ministry, and I tell it to other pastors, that you can expect the devil to beat your people up in areas that you do not inform them about. 
Anything that you do not want to preach about is where you can expect your people to hurt. If you don't want to preach on marriages, you'll expect their marriages to fail. If you don't want to preach on finances, then you can expect them to hurt in their finances. If you don't want to, any area you don't want to touch is where you can expect them to hurt because you overcome the evil one by renewing your mind to the word of God. So in this instance, it would have been real easy for Eve to say, wait a minute, I'm already like that. You can't pull that one over me. You can't fool me with that one. You're, you're trying to get me to be something that I already am, and I don't have to work to earn my identity in Christ. I am in Christ, therefore you must go get away from me. That should have been the response. And then, uh, you know, we would have three chapters, and, you know, that would be it. We wouldn't need the whole rest of the Bible. But, oh, we know that it didn't end that way, did it? No, she gave in to a, to a temptation to work to become something she already was. And we saw that this is what the enemy is still doing to believers today. He's getting them to work out, to work to become something they already are. You get saved, you get born again. God's grace and mercy comes into your life, sets you free, changes you from darkness into light. But then the world still wants to beat you up and tell you who you are. You, you ever notice that people in the world, they can only talk to you based upon what you have done or what you are doing. They very rarely will speak to you about what you can do. People in the world are not naturally inclined to draw on your potential. And a lot of times you'll find that the world will build you up just so they can tear you back down. The world will only get you to a level so that they can watch you fall and prove you're just like me. You're just like us. The world wants that so badly. The, the world wants to see people uh, not live out who they really are and potential is wasted potential is set aside we sacrifice what we can be for what we have now and that's what exactly what eve did she she let go of her future to take a hold of something in the present and many times we find that satisfying the flesh in the moment will cost us our future and that's exactly what happened but this was an attack on identity we only get two chapters in and we find that identity is what the enemy's after. And identity becomes the root of all of our issues. And we have people that are trying to become something they already are. And, 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 and what happens is, is you actually become something you were never designed to be. In the process of trying to become what you already are, you end up becoming something you were never designed to be. In the process of trying to become what uh, everybody else thinks that you are supposed to live up to and supposed to look like and what your home is supposed to look like and what your marriage is supposed to look like and, 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 and what your family is supposed to look like. And, and, and uh, you know, if I could just get the right education, if I could just rate, make the right kind of money, if I can just live in the right house, if I can drive the right car. And we build all these things around our identity and we end up sacrificing on the altar of what God had already created us to be. And if we would allow our work to come from who we are rather than for something we're not, then we would truly see our potential pulled on. Then we would truly become what God created us to be. God is trying to instill in his people again his image and his identity. I want to look at a couple individuals today. We're going to kind of look at a contrast today. I want to look at a couple individuals. If you'll go with me to 1 Samuel, uh, 1 Samuel chapter Chapter 15, 1 Samuel chapter 15, and we're going to try to give an image. The last time we were together, we talked about labels. Remember, we talked about how the world wants to give you a label that ends up becoming a limitation, but God ends up giving you a label that will liberate you. The labels that God has for you will set you free. The labels that the world wants to give you will put you in bondage and hold you. The world wants to restrain you. God wants to open you up. The world wants to tie you up and put you in a box. And, the girl, and God wants to set you free on the world and see what you can do. And so we've got to be careful the labels that we live up to or the labels that we're trying to achieve 
in our life. And here in 1 Samuel chapter 15, I'm going to have to give you some backstory so we can get up there. We have an individual, uh, his name is Saul, King Saul. King Saul uh, was a man uh, when the people of God were looking uh, they, they, they were looking at all these other nations and said, we want a king, we want a king. And Samuel fought and argued with them and said, you don't want a king. And, 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 and he went to God and he said, they, they want a king. And, and I feel like they're, they're rejecting you. They're rejecting me. He says, don't worry, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me as king. Give them what they want. But you tell them what's going to happen if they have a king. And so Samuel went before him and said, uh, he's going to take your family and he's going to, you know, he's going to put them in bondage. No, we want a king. We want a king. He's going to take your children and make them slaves. No, we want a king. We want a king. Gave him all the fair warnings. And then God said, go find a king. And so Samuel went out and he found a man named Saul. The Bible tells us that Saul was head and shoulders above everybody else. Saul, Saul, Looked the part on the outside. Looked the part of a king. He looked kingly in his stature and his looks and his facial features. And, and he would be to what the world would, would, would accept as a king. But it's dangerous when you, when, when, when you go after outward appearance many times you sacrifice what's on the inside. You know, we have this thing with our worship team up here, and we tell them all the time, um, you know, we, we aren't after your talents, and we aren't after your gifts. And if you think, you're, you're, you think that your talent is what puts you up here, then you don't have a clue into what we really value. Because uh, we can put you up here for your talent, but you will uh, disrupt the anointing with what's on the inside. And I won't sacrifice uh, our church, and I won't sacrifice our worship for the sake of mere outward show in talent. And many times, if you sacrifice for someone because of what they offer on the outside, you have to keep sacrificing that every time to keep them happy. But this man, King Saul, he started out okay. He started out all right, but he eventually got off. And, and, and just as people do that chase identity, their motives become impure. Their motives get out of line. And that's what happens when you don't know your identity. That's what happens when you become insecure in who you are. You have to continue to try to work for things that you should already be working from. They they end up having to do things naturally to try to achieve something that God has already given them. And so what happens here with King Saul is he ends up living for man's pleasure rather than God's. And when our identity is out of alignment, when our identity is out of whack, we aim to please the wrong audience. There's a, there's a football player, his name's Carson Wentz. I've been reading a lot about him lately. He plays for the Philadelphia Eagles. I do not like the Philadelphia Eagles at all. Uh, but he uh, is a believer, a very strong believer, and has been doing some awesome things uh, just in this season. I mean, this season he's just blowing people out of the water. And, and just doing amazing things. That's just what happens when God gets behind your efforts, by the way. Uh, when you change your motivations uh, and, and you start going after God. But he wears this wristband and he has this uh, uh, slogan. I don't know if it's something he started or what, but it's, it's called audience of one. I play for an audience of one. Well, King Saul began to play for the wrong audience. He began to perform. And he began to live off of what his appearance and his performance could do for him. But your appearance and your performance can only take you so far. And God has an assignment that's going to require anointing. God has an assignment that requires anointing. Many of us get overwhelmed in the assignments that God gives us. Many of us think it's too big, it's too hard, it's too much. But he's saying, I know it is. That's why you need my anointing. It, raising those kids is difficult. You need my anointing. Uh, taking on that extra class is difficult. Going after that promotion, uh, having that status in your job, uh, 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 being around those individuals at work, it's difficult. I know you need my anointing. You're trying to do it on your own, and you will always come up short when you rely on your own ability. He doesn't want your ability. You need his anointing. This is what God's looking for. Because you have his identity. You already are 
what he's made you. And so King Saul begins to try to appease the wrong people. And so we see here in 1 Samuel chapter 15 that, that God gives Samuel a, a, a command for King Saul. Go and destroy, utterly destroy the Amalekites. Don't leave any of them alive. Kill every child, kill every beast, kill the king, king kill every man, kill every single person that you come into contact with. I want this nation wiped off the planet. I don't have time to get into why that is, but God wanted the Amalekites utterly destroyed from the face of the earth. Not one thing was to be left. But King Saul decides that he's going to do it his way. And we jump down into, uh, we jump down here into verse uh, 30. He does his own thing. He ends up saying, you know what, we, we saved some of the best stuff so we could offer it to sacrifice to God. And Samuel says, God doesn't have pleasure in your sacrifices. He has more pleasure in your obedience. Because the real sacrifice that God wanted wasn't the Amalekites, it was Saul. God wanted Saul to put himself on the altar, his will, his agenda, his way. And you can't bring anything to God that will outweigh you laying down your own life for his plan and for his will. And so following up, uh, Samuel says, you've done a horrible thing. Look at verse 24. Let's start with verse 24. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord in your words. Because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. See, the, the, the audience you submit yourself to is the audience you submit to. Who you're trying to please is who you obey. He feared the people, therefore he obeyed the people. If we would fear God, you know... It's an old saying, I'm sure some of you hold. If we went after God as hard as we went after sin, what would what kind of damage would we do in the world? But you notice, if he would have feared God as hard as he feared the people, he would have obeyed God rather than the people. He says, I feared the people. Now watch this in verse 24. Now therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned around to go away, Saul seized the edge of his robe, and it tore. So Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today, and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor relent, for he is not a man that he should Relent. Now watch this in verse 30. Then he said, I have sinned. Yet honor me now, please, before the elders of my people and before Israel and return with me that I may worship the Lord your God. Notice his motivation is still to gain the pleasure of the people. He's so stuck on image. He's so stuck on Uh, uh, trying to achieve something. He's already got the highest image that anybody could have. You are king of Israel placed in that position by God himself. You don't have to do anything to earn God's favor. He placed you there. And the enemy tricks us and he lies to us and he says, you've got to work to get God's pleasure. And you've got to work to to get God to love you. And you've got to work. No, he does love you. Now, out of that pleasure and out of that love, do what he's called you to do by being who he's called you to be. But the enemy will twist that and say, well, if you just do enough, then you'll be enough. And God says you are enough so you can do enough. But he's twisting that. So we see a man that is so stuck on image. And we get into the very next chapter, verse 16. In verse 1, it says, Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Here's the thing. If we don't adopt God's identity, we will adapt to the world's identity. If we do not adopt God's identity, 
This is one of the first things I do. I tell every new believer, they obviously have a desire to be in the Word of God. Isn't it, isn't it interesting that innate within an individual, when they first come into the kingdom, they don't know hardly anything about this, and they say, I need to be in the Word. Yet it's one of the things that's most neglected among believers that, that, are, that have lived this thing out. We've got to stay in the Word. The Bible tells us the Word is a mirror. It will reflect. It will show us who we are. It will show us where we miss it. It will show us who we can be and how to become that. And within a brand new believer, and I tell them every, every one of them, read the book of Ephesians. Read the book of Ephesians. Why? Because Ephesians chapters 1, 2, and 3 tell you who you are. Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 tell you what to do. Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 will tell you who you are. That's all it is. Uh, you, you, are, you are in Christ. I mean, in Christ, in him, in whom. It's just laid all within there. And all he's talking about is if you, you, you were in, in sin, but now you are seated with Christ together with him in heavenly places. I mean, it just... You are a, the adoption. You, you have been brought into the family. I mean, all the stuff that just lights you up and says, that's who I am. And then you get to chapter 4 and he starts talking about quit lying and quit stealing. And you're like, I, I, I can do that because I'm, I'm, I'm a king's kid. I belong to the king. This is who I am. And this is how you should treat uh, Ephesians chapter 5. This is how your husbands, you treat your wives. And wives, you treat your, your husbands. Well, I can have a godly marriage because I'm, I'm in the kingdom. This is my identity. This is, this is what I do because of who I am. And then you get over into uh, servants. This is how you serve your masters. And masters, this is how you take care of your employees. I mean, he covers all of how we're supposed to live our life. But he starts with who you are. So I tell every new believer, get in Ephesians. Read it all the way through. I mean, it's not that long, six chapters. And then start over and stay in there. Why? Because Paul prays in both Ephesians chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 3. And he says, I pray that your, your spirit will be enlightened, that the, the illumination uh, of knowledge will come. Wisdom and, and supernatural knowledge, spiritual wisdom, that you'll come to know the love of God. What is the length, the breadth, the height, the depth, the, that, that nothing can separate you from the Lord. And that's what he's praying in those two prayers. He's praying that for the churches, that they would come to know that. And so if we don't adopt God's identity of us, we will adapt to the world's. You don't, you don't accidentally become the identity of who you are. You have to be intentional. Everything in this world is contrary. The world will tell you you're sick, and God will tell you, no, 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 you're healed. The world will tell you you're broke, and God will say, no, you're, you're rich. You have glorious riches in heavenly places. My God has, knows the, owns the cattle on a thousand hills, walking on streets of gold. I'm, I, I don't hurt for anything. He is my Lord. He is my provider. Well, you're, you're, un, you're uneducated. No, no, no. God says you're approved. You have the mind of Christ. I mean, anything the world can tell you that they think you are, God has the answer. He's got the rebuttal, and his word is the final say. His word is the final say. And so we keep on going here. Verse 2, Samuel said, how can I go if Saul hears that he will kill me? But the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me the one I named to you. So Samuel did what the Lord said and went to Bethlehem. The elders of the town, trembling at his coming, said, do you come peaceably? He said, peaceably I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Uh, sanctify yourselves. Come with me to the sacrifice. He consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So it was when they came that he looked at Eliab and said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Why? Because he's looking at the outside stuff. Samuel's fallen right back into the trap that got King Saul where he was. Well, he looks the part. He looks like he's got it all together. But look at verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Isn't it interesting that the answer for getting the, the wrong king that had an image problem out 
was getting the one that already knew his identity. This is God's answer for King Saul. King David is the answer. If we're going to fix an image problem, we've got to get someone that already knows his identity. And you've got to quit looking at the outside stuff. That got you in trouble last time. I'm doing a new work. I'm doing it my way this time. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance. Verse 8, so Jesus called, or Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And he goes on down. But then we get to verse 11, and Samuel said to Jesse, are all the young men here? And then he said, there remains yet the youngest identity. There he is, keeping the sheep, assignment. Why? Because the identity determines your assignment. See, the world wants to keep you at the bottom because they think you're small. They only see what's on the outside. They don't see what God's put on the inside. And so right here, we see identity define assignment. Even the world follows this pattern. Even the world is following this pattern of identity defining assignment. Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him. We will not sit down till he comes. So he sent and brought him in. He was ruddy, bright eyes, and good looking. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David. This is the key. To do the assignment that God has called you to do, you need his spirit and his anointing upon your life. And so many people want to step into God's calling without the anointing. They want to step into the assignment without receiving the spirit of the Lord. He's anointed, and the spirit of the Lord comes upon him not even jesus stepped into ministry until he received the anointing and the spirit of the lord upon his life so we go on into first samuel chapter 17 see god isn't looking at physical appearance he's not looking at what how everything is put together on on the outside Outward appearance does not substitute spiritual image. Outward appearance does not substitute spiritual image. I, I, I love what Paul said. You know, I would have been really surprised. You read Paul's letters. And when he says, when he makes a statement, we do not come to you with eloquence of speech. I'm thinking, are you serious? Your, your letters are incredible. Your letters are amazing. <laughs> Who are you sending? What's the problem? What's the issue? But see, Paul was saying, I don't rely on my outward ability. I'm not relying on what I can. Just, just don't, be, don't be shocked when you see me. Don't be shocked when I show up. Because how many times do we write off something because of its outward ability? How many times? Do, I, I remember when I was... In Bible school over at Raymond, we had an instructor, and, um, you know, obviously only the best instructor could make this statement, but he, he said, uh, you, you should not have any favorite teacher. And, of course, all of us are thinking, yeah, it's easy for you to say, you are everybody's favorite teacher. But he said that, do not have, why? Because if you put that label, label, identity, if you put that on one person, you will neglect the, what the others can do. Because when your favorite doesn't walk in the room, do we place the same value on their gift as we did on the other individuals? No. So God's telling Samuel. Now look at um, 1 Samuel chapter 17. We're going to kind of just jump around a little bit. We know this is a story of David and Goliath. What in the world would cause a teenage boy that's not trained in warfare, trained in military exercise, to show up on a battle scene and have the audacity to say, we can defeat this guy, a giant, like not just a normal soldier. I mean, just put David against one of 
the little front guy that's one of the first to go. And he probably loses out. But to take on the giant, and not just a big guy, but a big guy that knows. You ever seen a big guy that doesn't know what they're doing? This is a big guy that knows what he's doing. This is a, this is a giant that knows how to kill. He has been trained all his life to kill and to send a shepherd. I mean, this is easy. Only someone secure in their identity. You would be surprised the giants who could slay in your life when you learn who you are. You would be surprised at the mountains that you would move. We just sang it. But how many of us so many times feel intimidated in front of the mountain? It's because we don't have a full recognition of who our of what our identity is and who we are in Christ. And we have that battle that Samuel had. Don't look as the way man looks. Look at how God, what would happen if we could see ourselves the way God sees us? Those, those 12 spies got to the edge of the promised land, Numbers chapter 13, and they got to the edge. They went into the land, went into the territory, already promised them, and God said, you can do it. And they said, no, we can't. We are grasshoppers in their eyes identity and now descendants of those giants is these guys Goliath and his brothers the same giants that they failed to conquer there are still coming back and trying to defeat man and not defeat him with swords and spears they're trying to de- they lost that battle before they ever even got into the Saul has an army of men. God can do more with one person who knows who they are in Christ than he can with a hundred that don't know. Do not undersell your ability to recognize your identity. So, we come down here and verse... Look at verse 26. He's talking to his brothers. Verse 26. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of? Armies of. Of of identifies source. Uh, of identifies where I came from, and where I came from gives me identity. Your source reveals your identity. And he says, wait a minute, we're not just an army, and we're not just the army of Israel. We're, we are the armies of God, of God. He's the one that placed us here. We are representing him. Don't you know who he is? Don't you know how he sees you? This is what he's saying. Uh, Verse 27, and the people answered him in this manner, saying, so so shall it be done for the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was aroused against David. It's amazing when you get a secure person around a bunch of insecure people, the anger that will rise up and the opposition that will come from your own people. Some of you may have recognized this. You, you, you know, your family may have seen you as a failure before or someone that always missed it, always blew it. And then you find God and you become secure in your identity and you show up at Thanksgiving dinner or, at, or family uh, festivals or whatever, your, your, whatever weird stuff your family does. And, and, and you show up and now all of a sudden you're just this different person. And they're like, who is this? You, you go to church? You serve in the children's ministry? You're... You're on the leadership team? You, who do you think you are? Sometimes the people that will be the most opposed to your new identity are the ones that think they know you the best. Jesus had the same problem in Mark chapter 6. Goes back to his hometown. And they hear all the miracles and the signs that he's doing and they hear him Speaking with authority because authority is a result of identity. And so he starts speaking with authority and they say, wait a minute, we know this guy. That's 
That's Mary's son. Who does he think he is talking to us like that? Where did he get all these magic tricks from? Where, where did he learn all this stuff? And it says that they were offended at him. Sometimes those that will be the most opposed to you will be the closest to you. And here we have David's brother. Why? Because this is the shepherd boy. So don't be surprised when people don't see you the way God sees you. Don't be surprised when, when people say, you're not anointed. Go, go feed the sheep. Go take care of the sheep. He gets angry and said, why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? He immediately refers right back to his assignment. You're not good enough to be here. You should be there. The identity that we see says you don't belong here. You belong over there. See, this, this is where... This is where David fought his battle. He didn't fight the battle with Goliath. He fought the battle with his brother. Because he could have easily said, Oh, you know who I am. Who am I? I should be with the sheep. See you guys. And they'd still be sitting there today. But no, David defeated the battle on the inside. So it was easy to conquer the battle on the outside. He, 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 he defeats this battle right here. I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? And he turned from him toward another. And we jump down. He goes up to Saul. Verse 33, Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight him, for you are a youth. And he a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and I struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion, from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. That's a a mighty motivating speech right there. That's quite the halftime speech. No, wait a minute. The same God. Why? Because he got the image. He got his, his, his picture off of him and what he brought to the table. This is what God brings to the table. And I'm just the vessel. I don't rely on my outward opinion, on my outward appearance. This is what you see on the outside. But I've got something greater on the inside. And the same resolve that I had out there in the field is the same resolve I can have out here in the valley. And that was motivating enough for Saul to say, go and the Lord be with you. But watch this. Watch verse 38. So Saul clothed David with his armor. And he put a bronze helmet on his head. And he also clothed him with a coat. Of male. Why? Because King Saul's so stuck on image, he said, Well, you're going to have to look the part. He said, You're going to have to have all the stuff that looks right on the outside, right? So we better get the, ar- we better get the armor on you. We better get the shield. That's what the world will try to do. Even when you identify who you are, and even when you know, if you aren't careful, if you don't know who you are, the world will try to put stuff on you to make you become what you're trying to already, what, 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 what they want you to be, what you already are. And David said, look, I, I don't need any of this outward stuff. I'm anointed, and the Spirit of the Lord is upon me and has assigned me for this time. David fastened his sword to his arm and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. And how many times do we do that when it comes to image? How many times do we do that with identity? We try to take on something that we were never designed to carry, and we never test. It's dangerous for you to go to battle with an identity that is not yours. Do not go to battle with an identity that is not yours. You go to battle with the identity that God already gave you. You don't need 
the extra education. You don't need the more money in the bank account. You don't need the certain car or the certain house. You don't need you don't need to do those things. You are who God already said you are, and that's all you need. And we bow to what the world says that we need. Oh, if you're going to get that job, you're going to need this kind of education. You're going to need this kind of experience. If you're, if you're going to do that, you're going to, you're going to need to have this. The world is still trying to do that to believers today. But he said, I cannot walk with these, for I have not tested them. And David took them off. What's he saying? It's not because of what I do that I'm going to defeat him. It's because of who I am. See, you're, you're trying to get me to work to gain something I already have. I didn't need the armor in the field because it wasn't about the lion and it wasn't about the bear and it wasn't about Goliath. It was about my identity in him. It was about me knowing who I am, who my God is. You realize that's, that's what every believer needs to know. Why don't, why don't we tell them that when they get saved? Now, let me tell you the two most important things you need to discover. You need to discover who your God is, and you need, you, you need to discover who you are in relation to your God. Because what good is it for me to know that God is great and God's all-powerful if I see myself as a little pawn on the chessboard? No, I need to know who I am in relationship to this great, great God. How he sees me. Oh, if those Israelites, when they got to the edge of that, that mountain could have seen themselves the way God saw them. But instead, they saw themselves the way the Philistines saw them. They saw themselves the way the giants were just but grasshoppers in their eyes. They sacrificed God's identity for the world's identity. Amen. How, how, Do we clear this up? How can we change this identity crisis? We must renew our minds to the word of God. We must renew our minds to who God has already said we are. I'm telling you right now, there is nothing in the Bible that's going to tell you about that. That's going to identify you with your past. There's nothing in the Bible. I know, I know your family wants to, and I know your 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 uh, 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 people around you and your your employers, and, and I know that everybody wants to identify you with what you have done and what you are doing. But God doesn't pull on those strings. God says, "Look, I know. If anybody knows, it's I know." But but here's the thing: I've I've cast your sin as far as the east is from the west. I don't even remember it. Talk to the one that only knows your future. Talk to the one. Quit talking to the ones that know your past. Quit talking to the ones that know what you're currently doing and, and then the mess that you're currently in. And start talking to the one that knows what you can be. And I didn't even say it last week. I need to start talking with my wife in the car on the way to church. But I talked to her. I, I, you know, I, I, I bounce things off of my wife, and I do it afterwards instead of before. And she said, and I was telling her the last time we were together a couple of weeks ago, and I said we were talking about labels, and we're talking about how the world's labels will limit you, but God's labels will liberate you. And she's like, oh, yeah, I like Abraham. I'm like, well, what, what do you, yeah, Abraham. I'm like, yeah, she changed, God changed his name. God changed his name to identify him with something that he was going to be. God said, you'll no longer be Abram. We're going to stop calling you what you are. We're going to start calling you what you can be. And God literally changed his name. And I said, well, well let's start talking before church. So let's, let's have this conversation. Time. You, you have the mic next time. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you have created us, designed us, put us in this planet with such a great purpose, great destiny. Father, if we never discover our identity, we'll never discover our destiny. So, Father, I thank you that tonight every person under the sound of my voice will live with a greater sense 
of purpose because they recognize who they are in Christ. They recognize who you designed and created them to be. And when we recognize who we are, then we'll learn what to do. Father, I thank you we will fulfill the assignment, the purpose, the destiny that you've called us to. And not out of works trying to achieve something, but we will accomplish it working out of who we already are. And Father, I thank you that you will reveal this to our hearts, reveal this to our minds. You're setting us apart. You have sanctified us. We are a royal priesthood, a chosen generation, a holy nation unto you. And Father, I thank you that we will recognize this more and more. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We'll be back here Sunday morning, 1030 a.m. We love you. Have a great rest of your week.